too soft. All right. This microphone, uh, like last time uh, I spoke here, is not fitted for me. Uh, if you may notice, there is a distinct physical trait characteristic difference between me and Pastor Micaiah. Uh, my head, uh, in probably more ways than one, is much bigger than his. Um, this, it, <laughs> I can still feel it popping out of place every single time I move. I told him this morning, it's the hair that uh, is making up for it. I meant to get a haircut last night, but uh, apparently they close earlier on Saturdays. Well, I'm glad to be with you this morning. I'm glad that you're all here this morning. Today, uh, Pastor Micaiah asked me to speak on uh, God is holy. We've been talking about for the last several weeks, God is, talking about uh, his attributes, or we could also call his characteristics, things that are uh, make up, that make up who God is, things that are uh, in nature to him, things that are, uh, as you could say, what make God, God. Now, as we'll see in a moment, there's some things that we maybe share with God, but uh, in terms of love and compassion, but today we're going to talk about something incredibly special, and that is God's holiness. If you have your Bibles or a tablet with you, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Today is, uh, is uh, different for me. I usually use my iPad Bible, but I brought a paper version. And if you know me, you know how uh, different that is for me. This is the Bible that I used uh, for a very long time. Um, it is writing all over it. So hopefully I won't get distracted by my notes that I can't read. And uh, we'll be able to get through this. But Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. It's also up on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one another, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims into, unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for all that you have uh, blessed us with. I pray today as we look at your holiness, I pray that uh, we'd open our minds up to the possibilities that are before us, that we wouldn't stay stuck in a definition that maybe we've held on to our entire lives, but Father, that our minds would expand beyond uh, what we currently know into the infiniteness that you are. Father, I pray that we would today have a deeper understanding of who you are and leave with a desire to know you deeper. Thank you for everyone here today. I pray that you would guide and direct us and your spirits would have free course as we investigate this. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you give me just a moment, move this out of the way. I am afraid I am going to hit this and then it's going to crash all over me. And if you've ever watched Family Matters with Steve Urkel, you know that what I'm talking about. And I, but I, my voice isn't as nasally to say that I do that. We're talking about God. There's a word that we use a lot, especially when singing or in poetry or just writing something in general, and that word is 
indescribable. Indescribable. We use that word to describe things that either we cannot use our own words to describe or the words that we would use just couldn't do justice. Uh, we use that to describe something that uh, we say it's indescribable. We ourselves, we say, well, I don't know how to describe it, or the words that I would use to describe it, they're not going to be good enough to describe this. And we use that word to describe God, and rightfully so. God is, in his fullness, indescribable. In John 21, 25, John speculates under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that everything, if everything that Jesus had done while he was on earth had been written down, he says that perhaps even the entire earth could not contain the books that were written. And that was just after 33 and a half years. The words that we have in our language, we often feel are not enough to describe God. And thus we use the word indescribable. It conveys, that word conveys a sense of awe in, in, a, in a large part. It conveys a sense of wonder, and it conveys a sense of almost mystery and hope. We say, it is indescribable. When I say that, you think, man, that must be something amazing, something great. We use that to, ex- to describe things that we just feel we can't explain. When it comes to God, there's a lot of things that we could label indescribable. There really is. But I feel sometimes that we can jump too quickly to that without giving a generous effort to try to describe uh, what we're labeling indescribable. It's very easy just to say, oh, God's amazing. God's indescribable. But how is he indescribable? How is he amazing? How is he all these things? And it's just, it's not something that we do on purpose. We do it because sometimes either A, we don't know, really don't know how, or B, it's just not something that we feel comfortable describing. We're not sure if we're going to get it right. And if there's one thing we don't want to do, it is mislabel God. So we say God is indescribable. There are things about God that are harder to understand than others. And there are things on the surface that it is much easier just to accept as they are and say, well, that's God. He's indescribable. And let's just move on with our lives. I've got other things to do. One of the topics that I feel that we have a tendency to do that to and just say and label it, God is indescribable, is God's holiness. Is God holy? Oh, man, he is so holy. How? You know, I just can't describe it. He just is. <laughs> uh, if you ever talk to somebody who is trying to describe something and they really shouldn't be describing it, and they go, man, you, you just got to see it. You, you just don't know. Mm, yeah, I know. <laughs> God showed us that he was holy in the Old Testament through the law, the temple, and the tabernacle, as well as the instructions on how to treat those things Uh, and the signs that he gave the children of Israel. He showed he was holy in the New Testament through his son. When you drill down, sometimes it's hard to define what holy means. We see it all the time in the Bible, but sometimes it's hard for us to actually describe what it means. We think that holy sometimes, when we think of holy, we think that there's a mystical aspect to it. And there might be for in the grand scheme of things, but this morning I want you to think about it in not terms of something that is just undefinable or uh, you can't put your hands on it. It's intangible. If you do a search on Google, an image search on Google, and I don't recommend doing that on a regular basis, you don't know what you will find. And I'm not just, I'm not just talking about really bad stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about just the weirdest things. But if you type in holy in the image search on Google, and like uh, all humans, we have a tendency to want to express ourselves in, in different ways that we know how in art and music. If you look at holy, usually the pictures are associated with things that are very bright, very enveloping. It almost gives you a sense of warmth, a sense of, uh, of just, oh, yeah. 
I like that. It's holy. And there's an emotional and we assume a mystical component to that. Sometimes we attribute other characteristics to holiness, such as purity and justice. But here's this. Holiness is an attribute or we could say a characteristic of God that is hard for us to understand because it is a trait we do not not inherently share with our creator. Every person on earth shares uh, attributes with our creator because we're made in the big fancy word imago Dei. I know Pastor Mackay has mentioned that before. Love the term imago Dei. It means literally the image of God. And this far transcends what we think that we're just made in the image of him to resemble him. Body, soul, and spirit. Oh, God's father, son, and spirit. And we're body, soul, and spirit. We say, that's the extent. No, that's not the extent. We, We share attributes with him. We share compassion. The capacity for compassion. We're the only beings on earth that can show true compassion. We're the only beings on earth that can show true creativity. Sometimes uh, I I have a two-year-old daughter, and I love it when she does things that are just weird. Why? Because she's being creative. She's expressing, and I don't mean to sound like, oh, expressing herself or something like that, but she is expressing the attribute that God has hardwired into her to be creative. We can show mercy, forgiveness, even love. These are all attributes that whether or not you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not, we all share because we're made in the image of God. But there are some attributes we do not share. Some of them would be omnipotence. Nobody in here is all-powerful, as much as we may think. We are not all-powerful. We are not omnipotent. We are not omniscient. We don't know everything, (laughs) although um, that was probably a better one to say because sometimes we act like it. We are not omnipresent. We're not everywhere at once, although with some of our jobs, we wish we could be. There is an attribute above them all that we do not share with God, and that is holiness. Now, Before we get any further, I want to define what does holy mean? Uh, I don't think that we can actually delve into something without understanding what we're talking about or at least being on the same page and what we're talking about. Uh, If you've ever had a discussion either with your spouse or your friend or a coworker, and you end up at totally different spots because you thought you were talking about the same thing, but you actually weren't, you know how important this is. What does holy mean? To put it simply and plainly holy means unique specially set apart a class to its own it means unique specially set apart and a class to its own it is the definition of its class it is what everything else is compared to it is something that you cannot successfully counterfeit because it is the definition of what it is now sometimes we see and i i like uh, watching them, the commercials on TV, especially BMW, they talk about, you know, uh, the driving machine, and they make it seem like everything else is compared to a BMW. You cannot get higher than this. They are attempting to distinguish themselves and saying, we are a class unto our own, and no one else comes close. Now, obviously, God is much more separate and holy than a BMW. But the idea carries with it the, uh, the notation that it is separate from everything else. It is the definition of what it is. The Hebrew word is kadosh, and the Greek word is hagios. Now, you say, what does that mean? Both of them mean literally set apart, sanctify, which means set apart or holy or, um, uh, or, or set apart or um, 
I'm sorry, I'm going back on myself. They basically, they basically both mean sanctified, set apart. Both of them mean the same thing, but they carry with it an extra special weight and meaning of something extra special. You know what I say when words or phrases carry uh, extra meanings to them. If I tell you that I went somewhere and it was a really great experience, I tell you that was just fantastic. I mean, I cannot describe to you how great that was. But if I tell you that was a transcendent experience, Well, one of them carries with it a little bit more umph to it, but technically they both mean the same thing. This word uh, holy, both in the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament, literally carry with it a heavier weight than anything else. I want to define holy because before we move on, I want to make sure we're on the same page. The cool part about this is, is that after we define this word, we're able to uniformly apply it to who God is. What does it mean that God is holy? Now that we've defined what holy means, that is a unique, especially set-apart class to its own, what does it mean that God is holy? First, holiness is the eternal state in which God exists. God is eternal. The Bible tells that to us all the time, that God is eternal, that before Abraham was, I am. That statement, I am, is not simply just I existed beforehand. It means that I existed before Abraham, I am preexistent, I existed before everything else. He has no beginning and he has no ending. He was and is and is to come. You could say that time, the place thing that we exist in now, and I don't mean to go all uh, uh, crazy and I hope I don't sound crazy to you, but time, literally you could describe it as a layer of reality created for our benefit so that we can observe the passage of things. God does not exist in our time. He works with us in our time, but God does not exist here. God exists outside of time, and time for God is not measured the way we measure it. God simply is, and just as God is, God is holy. We understand that God is eternal. We acknowledge that God is forever But what we don't seem to sometimes put together is that God is eternal, but holy is the state in which our eternal God exists. Meaning that is that at every moment, in every way, everywhere, he is unique. He is set apart. He is a class all to himself. When Isaiah, we read here in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is taken up to the throne room, he looks around where he is standing in the very presence of the sovereign master of reality itself. He looks around and hears the angels saying back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy. If you can imagine this, he is standing there and he, you know, it just says that in the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, he was caught up to this place. Uh, He didn't ride a staircase or, you know, he didn't go up in a car or a plane or go up in one of the space shuttles or whatever. He literally, he said, I found myself here. Uh, I just was here. And I looked around and I saw uh, everything about the throne room, and I saw, he says, the seraphim, it's a type of angel, and they called back to each other, holy, holy, holy. God the eternal, surrounded by the proclamation of his nature. John in the New Testament saw the same thing. In Revelations 4.8, the Bible says, and the four beasts, each had of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rested not day and night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holiness is God's state of being attribute. Holiness literally is the state in which God exists. Holiness has sometimes been described, however, as God's defining attribute. 
If you ever heard or been in somewhere where they say, like, holiness is God's defining attribute, they are uh, correct. It is, but usually not in the way we think about it. A lot of times we use holy as a combination of other characteristics of God. We will mix together uh, wrath and justice and hatred of sin and purity and sanctification and we'll say, that's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to, uh, to, for God to be holy. And that's what it means that when you see God in holiness, it means that you see him for who he is. You see him in his wrath and you see him in his justice and you see him in his hatred of sin and you see his purity and you see his sanctification and that's holy. And you know, to an extent, you can make that definition fit for a while. But it's disjointed. We're basically pulling a lot of other things that God is and saying that's what makes God holy. Holiness is not a combination of attributes, though, or characteristics. Holiness is the supreme nature of all of his attributes. When we say that God is holy, and this is where we're going to start getting into it. When we say that God is holy, it is literally the state of being, the supreme definition of all of his characteristics. So what does that mean? When we say God is holy, we are basically saying, God, out of everything that you are, you are the highest of it all. That means that God is holy in his love, that he loves you like no one else can, and quite honestly, no one else will. Our culture is obsessed with love. Our culture has tons of music and literature and stories and especially movies that at the end, everything works out great. And we look at all those things and we say, oh man, our culture so gets love. No, they don't. God says that I am distinct in my love for you, that my love for you is not to be compared to anything else, that my love for you is so set apart, you cannot even fathom how much I love you. He is holy in his grace. Grace, by definition, you could say is the getting of things I don't deserve. Now, it doesn't mean in a negative sense that, well, I'm just going to I'm going to do this to you because I want to. That's not what we're talking about. He blesses like no one else can and no one else does. Matthew 545 says he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God blesses everybody. Of course, he blesses his children, but nobody blesses like God. It's really easy for us to do nice things and give things to people that we like. It, it is. It's n- easy for us, in all honesty, to be able to say, hey, thank you so much. You're a great friend. Here's five bucks to Starbucks. Or, hey, let's go and get dinner sometime. Or, hey, let me take care of that for you. Or, let me help you on this. It's easy to do that when we, with people that we like. It really is. But it's really hard for us to do it to people that we don't like. God says that my blessing is in a class all to itself, something that you possibly cannot understand. He is holy in his mercy. He is more forgiving and patient than anyone can possibly be. Numbers 14, 18 says that God is long-suffering to us. He is holy in his justice. God is far more concerned with justice than we are. And his sense of justice is far superior to our own. Sometimes we get upset because things just don't seem fair. Something happens. We didn't like it, or something happens, and we say, that's not fair. It shouldn't have happened that way. God says that he is far more interested in justice than we are, and God's sense of justice spans the time of eternity. And sometimes when we say things aren't happening fast enough, God says, why don't you just let me take care of it? 
my view of this is so much higher than yours. He is holy in his power. There is nobody like him. God says that all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. He is distinct in that. If you think about the most powerful person you've ever met, uh, if you say, well, I've met the President of the United States. That's cool. I've met the CEO of Microsoft. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, say, I've, uh, I've met the mayor of San Jose. I've met uh, the president of some company or, you know, whatever it may be. Say, think of the most powerful person you've ever met. And you think about that. and It's like, man, they could do this and they could do this and not even think about it. If we take that definition and magnify it exponentially, we begin to sort of approach the understanding of how powerful God is, that God literally is all powerful. He is distinct in that. And we could go on about everything, his wisdom, his purity, his glory, that he is set apart and distinct in all of that. But in this understanding that God is literally specially set apart in a class to himself, another word could be drawn out of this, and that is separate. God is separate from all of this. God is inherently separate uh, from that which is not himself. That means that things that are not God, God is inherently separate from. I know that sounds sort of simplistic, and I know that sounds uh, even just a little bit like, oh man, I could have thought of that on my own. But think about this. God is separate from his creation. God is not everything. Some people will say that God is, oh, God is everything, and God is everywhere. Yes, God is everywhere, but God is not everything. We are not God, and this chair is not God. Nature is not God. God is separate from all those things. He is separate from other things that man worships, like ourselves or objects, like money, or other things that we would pertain to worship. He is not shared by anything else. Isaiah 45 says, I am the Lord and there is no other God. We look at these things and we say that God is distinct and separate from everything else around us. But then God says this. God says in Psalm 136, 1, he says that God is good. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And Psalm 5, 4 says, he does not take pleasure in wickedness and no evil dwells in him. If, a, if holy is the supreme nature of all of God's characteristics and separate to himself, then we have to think that there's an opposite to that. Or at the very least, falling short of that the word sin uh, literally in greek is harmardia which literally means falling short sometimes you say oh sin is such an ugly word and it is it kind of has a it sounds bad sin it sounds bad doesn't it sin you sinner i mean it sounds bad the word literally means a falling short so technically, if I'm going for a basket and I am horrible at basketball and I miss, which is 99.9% likely, I'm going to fall short. You can say, well, that's not really anything bad. You, you shot and missed. Yeah, you're right. But technically, if you're going to go by the strictest definition, I fell short. Now, we don't call that in the biblical world. We wouldn't call that sin. But you understand what I'm talking about. We fall short of something. We didn't quite measure up to something. The word literally means falling short. Before getting into the differences of sins of the will and things you could call accidental sins, the truth is that in the light of the distinct, separate, unique, specially set apart, class to himself, God, we fall short. 
And, and this isn't to put us to shame or anything. We'll get into it in a second. But if you think about it, if God says, I am the ultimate in all of my characteristics, I am the supreme, na- everything that I am is the supreme nature. I am holy in my love. I am holy in my justice. I am holy in my purity. Everything that I am is the best of the best of the best. And you cannot get any better because I am the definition of those things. I know I'm not that. I know I'm not holy in my love. I know I'm not holy in my forgiveness. Why? Because I know I wouldn't die for any of you. (laughs) Well, maybe my wife. There we go. Before God, we fall short. And this isn't to say, oh, you sinners or whatever. I mean, we'll get to that. But it's to show simply that by nature, we don't measure up. And that's by choice and by nature. We choose not to, and it's just because of who we are. This is why people, when they talk about holiness, they talk about sin. If you ever read any books about holiness, a lot of the content deals with sin. And that's fine. That's not the entirety of what holiness means. Uh, And I think sometimes, not that we can ever spend too much time talking about how God hates sin or God is the antithesis of sin or whatever, but I think sometimes we gloss over the fact that God is yet holy in all of his other characteristics. But when we come to the point where we say, well, if God is holy in all these things, The opposite of that is falling short. When we talk about holiness, we cannot get away from the literal falling short, which is what the Bible calls sin. He is literally separate from sin, which means he is literally separate from falling short. That is why even if you don't like the idea of it, God does rightfully stand to give us direction. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Not some God, not some book or whatever. Excuse me, you don't want to hear my voice crack and sound like, you know, I uh, can't do it very well on command, but when it happens, it's terrible. God does rightfully stand to give us direction. God does rightfully stand to tell us what is good and what is bad. God does rightfully tell us that we need a Savior. God does rightfully stand to tell us that we are a people that continually, volitionally, of the will, fall short on purpose. To tell us that he cannot be in the presence of sin is not because God hates us. It is simply because it doesn't work. We say, oh man, if God really loved us, he wouldn't do this and he wouldn't do that and he wouldn't do this. God says, the Bible says God cannot deny himself. We talk to ourselves about being true to ourselves and I've just got to be me and I've just got to do all those things. Think of that in a far more uh, elegant way and God literally cannot stop being holy because it is who he is. It is not that God hates us. It is not that God doesn't love us. It is not that God doesn't want the absolute best for us. It is that literally because of who he is, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And that's why God stands and he tells us, this is right and this is wrong. You need a savior and this is, uh, this is what you need to be doing and this is what you shouldn't be doing. He's not telling us this because he's being a big jerk. He's doing it because he actually does love us. When Isaiah realized where he was and who he was speaking to, he had one thing to say. And if you look at me, verse five, and then I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. His first words were, woe is me, 
for I am undone. The word woe here, it doesn't, we understand what it means, but it doesn't have like a direct translation. It is more of an exclamation like, (gasps) it literally, (laughs) I'll do it again. It literally means a deep grief, a deep grief. It is a soul crushing grief. And he says, for I am undone. That literally means I'm destroyed. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Not that he'd been eating dirt or he'd been, you know, making out with somebody before he came into the presence of God. Literally, he's saying here that in his speech and in his actions, he realizes who he is. He is that he dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, remember, he's a prophet. Isaiah is one of the most well-known prophets in the Bible. He is uh, one of the most used prophets in the Old Testament. He gives prophecy of the birth of Jesus 700 years before it happens. His life is literally devoted to God day and night. His response is, though, to seeing God and his holiness is, Oh, man, I am destroyed. I'm dead. Pain in my heart beyond measure, and death has come to me. Why? Because in the sight of true holiness, in the true holiness of God, he realized how unholy he was. The question is, and I'm leading into the next section, how seriously do we take our falling short? Isaiah is a prophet of God. It's his life, it's his livelihood. Everything he does revolves around serving God day and night. And before God, he said, oh man, this is not good. Not that God wasn't good, but he realized who he was. And the question of, of God being the utmost of everything, how seriously do I take my falling short? Now, I don't mean the things that we do without the will. We made a mistake. But the things that we know are God's direction, his warning, how something will ruin our lives, his guidance for our, our benefit, and ultimately his glory, something that God just says, hey, I'm giving you all the answers to this, and yet we just do the opposite anyway. What do we do in our hearts about that? How do, when we do something like that, and we know when we do, how do we respond to that? There are things that we're going to do just because we're imperfect beings, and we fall short of, of God, and that's our nature. But when we have the choice between right and wrong, listening to the Father and not, how seriously do we take that? Because the truth is, the way that we view our sin of the will, the way that we view and say, I'm going to fall short on God on purpose is a direct correlation of how we view how holy God is. We often bring God to a level we think uh, that he is all right with everything, either because we have become abusers of grace, thinking that no matter what I do, it's all right, because uh, God's forgiven me forever, my past, present, and future. No matter what I do, God's forgiven me. I'm going to go to heaven. It's okay. God's all right with this. Or on the flip side, we've tricked ourselves into thinking that, honestly, God understands. God doesn't mind too much. The problem is, because of God's holiness, he does mind. He minds so much that in order for us to be able to approach the throne of God, he had to die in our place to satisfy the requirement of holiness that we could one again, once again be in fellowship with him. This isn't meant to make us feel bad, so we change. This isn't to say, hey, what do you think about your sin? Do you take that seriously? You better shape it up, boy, or whatever you want to call it. This isn't meant so we feel bad. There was a message Pastor Micaiah preached several months ago, You Can't Shame Me Into Obedience. I think that was the title. Love that message. By far, probably my favorite one ever. Because you cannot shame yourself, and nobody can shame you into a relationship with God. Nobody can shame you into obeying Jesus. 
If you do something out of shame, you're only going to do it as long as you feel bad. And then you're just going to go back. God is always interested in us following him, following him out of choice, not shame. God paid for our sin with his son and satisfied the requirement of holiness. And thus, when we sin, after trusting his son, we are no longer in danger of hell or separation from God eternally, but we are, though, in the progress, in progress of wrecking our relationship. I have two little girls, and I love my little girls, uh, Jacqueline and Mackenzie. I mean, Mackenzie and Jacqueline. Fortunately, they're not old enough yet to realize that when I give their birth order out of order, then they'll get all offended about it. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. And if people mentioned out of order, it's like, hey, wait a minute. You mean Chris, Aaron, Ryan, Kelly. <laughs> Don't put none of the other stuff. <laughs> I think my girls are the best. Obviously, I'm biased. I love them so much. Um, I love seeing them uh, talk to me. I'll talk to Mackenzie on the phone, and she'll go, Hello, Daddy. I love it. Love it. I want them to learn. I want them to grow. I want them to become people who love God even more than myself. I want that for them. Mackenzie was born on June 8th. Jacqueline was born on March 1st. That will never change. They may, you know, do say, ah, I don't like that. doesn't matter. That's their birthday. Won't ever change. Uh, Mackenzie was born in Ventura, California. Jacqueline was born right here in Mountain View. That will never change. Mackenzie uh, was born to Christopher and Becky Tanimura. Jacqueline was born to Christopher and Becky Tanimura. That will never change. I love my children, and because I choose to love, that will never change. Will they do something at some point in their lives to make me really upset? Yes. Will they do something at some point in their lives to cause me stress already? Yes. Will they do things that I will think, I know, I know we raised you better than this. <laughs> yes. Will they do something eventually to hurt me? Yes. I, know, I hope not, but I know it's probably coming. My children will do things that strain our relationship, and it makes it so we can't enjoy the inherent benefits of being father and daughter. You were born to God into God's family on a certain date. God is your father, and that will never change. Your name was written in the book of life, and that will never change. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that will never change. He is your father, and you are his child. That will never change. So when we sin, when we willfully say, I don't care, our relationship is strained. We're no longer in danger of going to hell. But just like my daughters are in no danger of not being my children, our relationship is strained. We are still his children, but the strain is there. If my children grow up and never take into consideration what they do, even if it doesn't affect me directly, and how it, but if they say, I don't care what I was taught, I don't care what I was raised with growing up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to become a murderer or you know whatever, they say, I don't care what my parents think, they'll never stop being my daughters. That fact is immutable. It can't be stopped. Even if we treat our sin with arrogance and disregard, God is still our father. As he is holy and loved, he is a father looking at his children, wanting to have a relationship to enjoy all the benefits of himself. But we miss out on those benefits while our relationship is strained. 
there's a part of every child of God that feels the strain as we disobey and let it sit. We can sense the distance from God. Have you ever done something that you know you just shouldn't have done? It has this way of just haunting you. Now, part of that is your conscience. It's a built-in part of you that knows right from wrong. But more than that, you know, man, I knew I shouldn't have done that. And it bothers us. We feel the strain. We feel that distance. And if we let it sit for too long, like some relationship gone bad, it will just be feeling normal. We are left feeling normal. If you ever wonder why, hey, that guy used to love God and he left to do all those things. He's not not a Christian if he has trusted in Jesus Christ. It is that something has just left sitting and he has let the discomfort, he has let the strain become normal. We, you may have a relationship in your life that something happened five, ten years ago, even a month ago, a week ago, and you never dealt with it, or you wanted to deal with it, and they never wanted to deal with it. Regardless of it, you know that, man, I wish I could fix it, I wish I could fix it, but the strain is normal. It would feel unnatural now to have that relationship back intact, and that's what happens. If nothing else, God is not going to force you to have a relationship with him because it would just be that forced. If nothing else, Psalms 1611 shows us the most compelling reason to keep our relationship with God fresh and alive and vibrant. He says, God says, thou wilt David says, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is fullness of joy and an inward delight that the world cannot replicate or give because it comes from a holy, separate from the world father. And when our relationship is strained because of willful acts of sin, there is a dissatisfaction in us that cannot be silenced. And when we treat our sin as nothing, we basically say that regardless of the fact that God went out of his way in every possible way to have a relationship with us, I'm going to do what I want to do. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we'll be all right, that we're not missing out on anything. And we can lie to ourselves and say, it's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. And if we live with it long enough, we may actually start to believe that. But now, fortunately, God won't just let us wander off without discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 says, those he loves, he chastens. And I wish we had time to go into what chasten means. It means so much more than I'm just going to give you a spanking. It means so much more than that. But after we have had a taste of the goodness and the sweetness of God and have had closeness with him, nothing else compares because he is holy and distinct and above anything this world has to offer. And as a child of God, we are miserable in sin, not just because of the consequences, because of what we've done, but because because there's a part of us that knows no matter what we tell ourselves that we are missing out on everything God is. As a child of God, we ask ourselves the last question, what does holy mean to me? Holy means so much more than just that God is perfect and he's just and he's all these things. God being holy is the reason why our relationship with him far outstrips anything this world has to offer because he is so different than anything this world has. Number three, last one. I haven't numbered them, but this last thought for this morning is, as a child of God, what does holy mean to me? If God is holy, we've established that he is, how does God's holiness affect me? What am I supposed to do? 1 Peter 1, 13 13 through 21. 
Bible says this, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That means get your mind in the game. Be ready. Be sober. And, the ho- and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received from the tradition of your fathers, but with, preci- but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Why did I choose this passage? It's because this. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that since God is holy, we are to be holy in all manner of conversation. Now you say, conversation? Does that mean the way I, just the way I talk? No, conversation is an old-timey English word that means way of life. You could also translate this as conduct of your life. The literally translation here is, be holy in every conduct of your life. It is easy to see as simply as a command to behave. You say, be holy as God is holy. Hmm, that sounds like just be good, right? Just be good. Put on a good show. Let everybody see what a good Christian you are because I want to appear to be holy. But it's so far from that. This is not a call to self-righteousness or a holier-than-thou attitude. You see this verse here, be holy as I am holy and the instant thing that I think of is I've just got to be better. Now, it's so far from that. Well, we miss what God, we miss what God is saying if we think that God just wants us to do better or be better. If holy means a different class and we're called to be holy, there's only one way that's happening. And it's not by just doing better. It is through the one who is already holy. If you believe in Jesus and have freely accepted his freely given gift of forgiveness for everything, past, present, future, for eternal life, God literally brought you into his family through Jesus, who the Bible calls the Holy One. Literally, Jesus died to pay with himself to put his righteousness on your life. Be holy as God is holy is simply this. It is a call to be more like Jesus. To go down farther, it is a call to consciously respond to what Jesus is trying to do in your heart and mind. That doesn't mean in passive, well, you know, God's just going to do what he's going to do. And, you know, if it happens to work in with my schedule, that's fantastic. But if not, that also works. It is the calling to consciously respond to what God is doing in your heart and in your mind. Romans 8.29 says this, that God is working to conform us, and I'm paraphrasing, to conform us to the image of his son, that one day we'll get there. The Bible says we're predestined to conform to the image of his son. That doesn't mean that we were chosen to be saved. It means that when we die, we have already been, the destination we're going to be at is conformed to the image of his son. But God is working on us even now, pulling on our hearts, illuminating things in our mind. Through God's word, God's spirit is always working to make us more like Jesus. 
This is the awesome part, though. That word conversation or conduct or way of life is from a word, and we've talked about word meanings before, carries with it the meaning that how I act in life from the inside out. See, God is interested in changing what is on the inside to the outside, not just what is on the outside. Uh, Sometimes we get so obsessed with, oh, you know, I want to appear to be a good Christian. I want to appear to be a follower of God. There is no appearing to be. We either are or we're not. And I'll be honest with you, it's much easier to be than pretending to be. Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. Literally, I'll send you another person to walk with you. He will bring to remembrance my words. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He is the literal presence of God with you at every moment, bringing things to your remembrance and illuminating truth in your heart. That moment where you go, I get it now. It is not because we're so smart. Eh, might be. But more times than not, it's because God illuminated and said, this is for you. Do you understand? This is for you. The word of God is God's special revealed truth to us. Then when we read it, it tells us the mind and heart of God. And this is what I mean when we're talking about saying, responding to the call. It is having your mind and your heart begin to engage with God's mind and God's heart. To be holy as he is holy is not about behavior modification. It is letting Jesus work from the inside out. It is not simply do this, do this, do this, and you're good. It is not go to church and do this and do that, and you're a good Christian, although those things make up part of being a Christian. It is not act better. It is not fake it till you make it. Just pretend to be a good Christian, and someday you'll more accurately be walking with God. It is not playing the better Christian. It is getting so wrapped up in Jesus to know the wisdom he offers, to know the deep love that he is, the strength that he gives, the power he holds, the mercy he extends. These are things in which there is no substitute, no counterfeit, and no approximation. It is, in fact, God being unique, specially set apart, a class to himself that makes him the only one that brings these things into our heart and our mind, and he's the only one that brings this completion. You say, how do we get there from be holy as I am holy? Because if we are letting God be in our hearts what he wants us to be, and we're stopping to trying so hard to just pretend to be who God wants us to be, God eventually says, hey, you know what? If you just let me do these things in your heart, I'm going to put things in your heart and mind that you can't even begin to fathom. And if you get so wrapped up in me, you're not going to be concerned about behaving a certain way because you are a certain way. The fact is that because God is holy, he's the only one that can do this. Everything else that we try to do in regards to say, well, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this. That's fine. We can change our behavior to some extent. But if we want to see the change to ourselves, only Jesus can do that. And that brings about a completion. And Peter expounds on this and we're done. Holiness as a follower of Jesus is to understand that we are saved through, the same, through something precious, the blood of Jesus, who died out of holy love on a cross to pay for you and me. Jesus, in his holy justice, had every right to leave us to die eternally. Nothing like what we have valued before, and this is what he says by your, the vain things, the silver and the gold and the tradition, he said that just led to an empty life. To sum it up, to be holy is to be set apart, to be separate from the things that you left you, that left you so empty before, and be complete 
and the holiness that Jesus is. Holy is unique, specially set apart, a class to himself. God is holy in all of his characteristics. He is the highest order, the supreme nature of all that he is. He is separate from all other things. He is separate from sin, and he desires us to be holy, to let God do that in us, to make us into the image of his son. We're talking about God's holiness. It doesn't just stop at his nature because God says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And that only happens when we let Jesus do the things in us that he wants us to do. He wants us to be. It is getting so wrapped up in him. It is getting to the place where it is stop changing my behavior just so that I fit the part, but that Jesus changes who I am to make me more like him because God is the only one that is holy.